You are listening to audio from The Creek Church. If you would like more information about The Creek, please be sure to visit our website at thecreekfw.com. I know we're still online, and uh, thank you for praying, thank you for encouraging, thank you for everybody who's coming up to help us. Uh, if you didn't follow the news of the creek, last Sunday afternoon, we had another flood. We had another fire suppression sprinkler head break, and so we got to do all that again. And if you remember our teaching last week, uh, count it all joy, my family, when you face trials of various kinds. Sunday afternoon, I was pleading with God. I was like, this isn't a various kind. This is the same kind. Uh, but uh, we were able to get that cleaned up, and we got quick hands on it, and uh, uh, companies coming back out. We're in the process with insurance right now, but I do want to give you an update. Next weekend, March 6th and 7th, we are going to have services back on our campus. They will look a little different. Let me explain that. We have had to close down our preschool and nursery hallways, and we're shifting some rooms around, so we'll be able to handle our preschool, so walkers and up and uh, we'll just shift some rooms, and, and we made some things happen, and so we kind of went back into our portable days, and uh, so we're looking forward to gathering again on campus next weekend, and I uh, just want to encourage you, you can still watch online, and, and I just, I, I've been watching on our website, and I don't know if you're watching which platform you're watching on, but the best platform to watch is on our website, and you can go to thecreekfw.com, so you can switch over, and if you've got a smart TV, you can still cast it from your phone and uh, see it on the big screen. The quality is much better, and we still have the chat function so we can engage together. So we've been, uh, we've been praying for relationships. I know we've kind of taken some, some breaks a little bit, and, 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 and I just didn't feel like going into this subject last week, and, and uh, we, we're back in our Song of Solomon, our SOS, and the reality is many marriages and relationships are in jeopardy. They're, they're, they're on life support, and as we sang about God sending revival, we're praying as a staff, we're praying for God to bring revival into your marriages, and revival into relationship, and revival into your family. And, and, and the Word of God has something to say about it. And when we put the Word of God at the center of our relationships, meaning we let God define and God inform us and teach us about our relationships, here's the truth. Our relationships will work. And we've been going through the Song of Solomon, and we've looked at attraction, we've looked at dating. This weekend, we're going to look at intimacy. Then next weekend, we're going to look at conflict, and then kind of that enduring love. And uh, I, I just want to give a disclaimer up front that we are speaking about intimacy tonight and this weekend and, and uh, about godly sex. And so this is a PG-13 message. So if the kids are in the room, you may want to take them into another room real quick and uh, take them to the Creek website, to our children's page, and there's great resources to make that happen. So go ahead and do that. I'll wait for you. This is where we should cut to commercial and then come back. And we're back. Uh, but uh, so... Uh, if you've got your kids in another room now, or, or maybe you can't get away from the kids, maybe you need to go watch this in the closet. Maybe, maybe, maybe y'all need to sneak away, get in the master closet, get your iPad or your phone out, and, 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 and start watching this. But uh, the theme of the, 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 the book, the theme of, Sol- theme of Sol- Solomon's book is this, is, is, is that it's found in verse 2. It says, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. For your love is better than wine, because God has a better way. God's way is always better. And as we go through this this song or this book, you see the characters. I'll just reintroduce those again. He, when you see he speaking, it's Solomon. 
Um, he's the lover. When you see she, uh, she would be referred to as the beloved or the Shulamite maiden. And then the others in this are the daughters of Jerusalem. Or they are the friends. That's kind of the, the chorus. And what she's saying is she's speaking the theme of this book, that your love is better than wine. Your anointing oils are fragrant. Your name is oil poured out. Therefore, the virgins love you. What she's saying is the way you love people is intoxicating and you have a reputation for the way you love people. No wonder these other ladies love you. And I mean, this is, this is kind of a little bit, uh, I think she's been a little passive aggressive here um, where she's like, no wonder they love you. But if you go near them, it's done. Uh, but she's, uh, she's, she's just laying it down. But she says, your love, the way you do this is better. And so as we get into uh, chapter four and speaking about godly sex, um, I, I want to reiterate our ground rules that listening for yourself is key. Don't listen for another person. Don't listen for someone else. Listen for yourself. And then as you listen and as you engage with this teaching, engage in a way that looks forward, not looking back. Because God is a God who revives, and God is a God who, who makes all things new, and he breathes life into, into, into dead scenarios. And I want you to, to listen to the word of God and let the word of God challenge you and shape you and, and change you looking forward. And as we get into this, we got to understand some things. I just want to lay some, 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 some groundwork for us, is that we've got to realize the devil didn't create sex. God did. God created it. And God should define it. See, the creator should define it. I mean, no, nowhere do we, do we get back to say to the maker, you can't define what you've made. And God has made it. And as the maker, he defines it. The world should not define our sexuality. The world doesn't do a good job at defining that sexuality. And God's way is always better. Also going into this, so we can just avoid the elbows and the jabs and and and. and preparing for next week's message on conflict, uh, listen to this. Men and women are very different. We're different. And that's by God's design. And sometimes that's frustrating. Sometimes it's like, well, why do we have to be so different? If we were, if we were the same, then, then, then we would get along much better. And it just there's these differences and the way we're wired. And, and, and look, men, men's minds are wired a certain way and God wired women's mind a certain way. And men are like the dirt road in their mind and women are like the super highway. And, and we can't always keep up with communication. And so we wonder, why do we have to be so different? Why do we have to approach sex so so different and intimacy so different. And I believe that God did this so that we would do something very vital in relationship, that we would draw into each other and seek to understand one another and then seek to serve one another. When you see a relationship where, 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 where a husband and wife are seeking to understand one another and understand each other's needs and then serving each other, that's an incredible relationship. That's a relationship that has some solid foundation. That's a relationship that's going to endure. And sexually, men and women are different, and we've got to seek to understand and serve. I mean, men are all about the destination, right? And women are about the journey. I mean, there's a lot of emotion in it. You know, scientists say that men, an average man can be ready for sex in less than seven seconds. For a woman, it's a whole lot longer. I mean, it's, it's candles, it's mood, it's dinner, it's, you know, it, it's all of the things, and it just, it just takes time, and, and we've got to seek to understand that. Men are very visual, women are audible, and, and so, so men can, can, can see their wife, 
And, and here we go. But women need to hear. Women need to engage with this. And I, I believe this is important because God brings us to this place so we can seek to understand and serve each other. Okay? So with those, here we go. Song of Solomon, chapter 4. Now we're going to start out in chapter 4 where he is speaking. Solomon is speaking. And he's going to speak. And then she's going to speak. And just so you know, she speaks over 75% of the time in the book. In Song of Solomon, she speaks the most. I think there's something to that, right? Uh, But you're going to see Solomon speak to her for 11 verses before he touches her. Guys, take, take, take note on that. Communicate with your wife. Talk to her. And pay close attention in how he is communicating to her. He says this. He says, behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you're beautiful. I mean, he starts out by just, by, by affirming and how, how beautiful she is and, and reiterating that. He says, and then he starts at the top of her head and begins to work down. He says, your eyes are doves behind your veil. Because in this context of culture, I'm going to have to explain some cultural things that, that we're going to come across in the verbiage because some of it doesn't, doesn't compute in our day. But in their context, Solomon, this is the first time Solomon is seeing her without the veil. And he says, your eyes are beautiful. Your hair is like a flock of goats. See, that's one that's not going to work today. You can't walk in, men, and, and try to start creating the mood and go, baby, your hair looks like a goat. It's not going to work. I mean, just like a couple weeks ago where I told you, you cannot compare your wife to a horse. You've got to understand context. The context of this, these, these goats that Solomon is talking about are the goats that would, would live on Mount Gilead. And they were, they were long-haired goats. They were black-haired goats. And what would happen, he says, they're like, your hair is like a flock of goats leaping down the slopes of Gilead. What he's saying is, as you look at that, and this flock of goats with the long hair, it's just waving. So what's happening, let me give you the context of what she's just done. She's taken out the hair, hair beret and she's going, and he's like, you know, he's, he, he's on. Um, we're going to have fun with this. Okay. Uh, so he, he's just, he's, he's noticing her. She's beginning the process of undressing and he's speaking to her. In verse two, he says, your teeth are like a flock of shorn ewes that have come up from the washing and all of which bear twins. He's like, baby, you have all of your teeth. And none of them has lost its young. So he's saying your mouth is beautiful. Your smile, your lips are like scarlet thread and your mouth is lovely. He's, he's gone from the eyes. He's noticed her hair and he's noticing her smile. He's noticing the beauty of his lover. He says your cheeks are like halves of a pomegranate behind your veil. Your neck, your neck is like the Tower of David built in rows of stone. On it hang a thousand shields, all of them shields of warriors. This, this tower of David, so you understand, it was a place in the village that was a place of, of prominence and a place of respect. It was the most noble place in the village. What he's saying is, is baby, your beauty, the way you carry yourself on your neck, your mind and your ability and who you are, it commands respect and you just have this authority about you. You're noble, you are beautiful. And he's saying you carry yourself with honor. Now remember, as he's speaking to her in chapter one, she says, she says, I'm very dark. I'm not much to look at. But notice how he is affirming her. He's telling her you're beautiful. And the reason he's doing this is because godly sex is affirming. Before it gets physical, he says, I'm going to tell you how much you mean to me. 
I'm going to speak about what I see in you. I'm going to affirm your value. And, and listen, words are vitally important. Words hold the power of life and death. And words hold the power of life and death in our marriage. Words hold the power of life and death in the intimacy that God wants to bless us with within that marriage. I mean, when we say the wrong thing, we can, we can absolutely kill the spirit of intimacy. And, and, and we need that affirmation. Men need affirmation. Women need affirmation. We need it differently. And in the context of your relationship, that's where you've got to have these conversations of how can I affirm you? And let, let me just say this, men. Let me just, let me put up a boundary for you. Never, 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 never speak about your wife's body in a degrading way, whether to her or to anyone else. Solomon would write in Proverbs 25, he said, a word fitly spoken is like apples in a gold setting of silver. What he's saying is, is you speak life into your woman. You speak her value. You speak of her beauty. And listen, you, you speak of even who they can become. Ladies, I, some of y'all may, may, may already be working hard to stay engaged in this message because maybe that, that flame, you feel like it's, it's gone out a while ago. But I want to I encourage you to speak life into your husband. Speak to him who he can become. M many of us, we get, we get caught up in hearing what we've done and hearing who we are, but we need to speak life over them. That's what the word of God does in us. That's what, that's what Jesus does as our savior and as our Messiah. He's speaking life over us. He doesn't look at us and look at our wretched state. He died for us. He redeems us and he brings us into this life and he's speaking about who we can become in Christ, that in Christ, you're a new creation. In Christ, you are beautiful. In Christ, you are forgiven. In Christ, he does this. And Jesus does does it beautifully. And listen, public affirmation is, is, is key. I mean, she talked about how Solomon in chapter one speaks of him and uh, speaks of her in public. And she said, it just does something. There's something about how you communicate and even who you are communicating. Are you affirming? Verse five says, says your, your two breasts are like two fawns. Yes, we're going there. This is the Bible. It has content. I will preach everything in the Bible. And, and, and we've got to understand this because God is the author and creator of sex, the author and creator of intimacy, and he's the one who gets to define it. And so I told you, he's working from the head down. And he, he says, your, your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle that graze among the lilies. Now, what he's saying is there's, there's delicacy in this. That, that when you think, I'm, I'm a hunter, and for all of our hunters, you know, you understand when you, when you go out hunting, um, that how delicate it is in that process. When you see two fawns in the field, um, you've got to be gentle. You've got to be tender. You've got to be quiet. I mean, you just don't, I mean, I think of Elmer Fudd, you know, hunting. You don't walk into, you don't walk into the field and, 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 and make a bunch of noise. He's like, be very, very quiet, you know. I mean, I, when I hunt, you know, and I, I see deer come in the field, I don't go, hey, deer. If I do that, they're gone. What, what he's saying is, is I'm speaking delicately to you. I, I'm, this is a tender moment. This, this is incredible because godly sex is tender, and he's being tender to his wife, his maiden. She wasn't an object of affection for his personal use. She wasn't brought into this relationship to fulfill every one of his personal desires and his fantasies. 
God brought them into this relationship so they could do that process of seeking to understand and serve one another. And his job is to be tender toward her. As she's undressing and he sees the robe fall and the gown fall, he, he, he notices and he's looking at his wife and he's, he, he's, he's looking at her in an affirming way, in a tender way. And his job is to be tender to her and to be appropriate towards her. Um, just, just to get honest here for a moment, we, uh, I appreciate that we get these questions because you're asking questions based on what God uh, leads us and how the word of God directs our life. But we get a question pretty regularly about what, what's appropriate in the marriage bed. What's appropriate in the bedroom? I mean, we get, we get emails, we get messages, and, and it's, you know, can we be creative and what's appropriate? And then I would say, yes, it's absolutely fine to be creative, but you've got to have some boundaries and some parameters around that. Here's how I would define those boundaries. Let her be the filter. Let her be the judge. Don't, you, you don't want to do anything if she's not comfortable with it. And listen, men, you don't want to do anything that's going to devalue your wife. And you've got to have those conversations. Listen, if you're, if you're married and you're in that marriage relationship and that covenant between a man and a woman that God has blessed and God has ordained, then you need to have these conversations. You know, you need to be able, you need to, be able to discuss some things about this. I mean, and, and so Solomon goes on. He says in verse six, he says, until the day breathes and the shadows flee, I will go away to the mountains of myrrh and the hill of incense. Notice there's a mountain and a hill. There's two of them and we get a good idea. You don't need me to give you an interpretation of where he's going at that moment. And he says, I'm here all night, baby. All night till morning happens. What do you say? He's being romantic and he's being passionate. He's being very passionate because godly sex isn't boring, it's passionate. If you're not communicating, then it can become boring. You've got to have the communications, but, but you've got to have that, that passion. People think, listen, people think if I go after God that my life's gonna be boring. And I just have to tell you, that, that's a lie from the enemy. I mean, if you're single and you think, well, if I go after God, then I'm, my life's gonna be boring because I can't pursue these things that you're talking about right now, Matt. No, God is the author of life and the enemy has lied to us over and over and over to say, if you try to do life God's way, you'll be bored. It'll be boring. It'll be, it'll be unfulfilling. And listen, God always has a better way. God is always wanting life for you and life abundantly for you. And he's created boundaries because as the creator, he sets the boundaries. He sets those times. He sets the moments where they should be awakened and they should not be awakened. And he begins to, he begins to pour that life into us. But passion takes effort. We've got to work at it. I mean, I, I, hear, I hear couples that will say, we're just not in love anymore. Well, of course you're not in love anymore if you're not working at it. Like anything worthwhile takes work. I mean, we, I, I hear this, this, this concept of relationships of, well, the grass is greener somewhere else. Let, let me help you with some truth on that. The grass is greener where you water it. So in your relationship, in your marriage, what are you watering? What are you working towards? Because you're not going to be in love with anymore if you don't put the effort in it. That takes work. 
Anything that works. Look, I, I've got a fireplace, and, and I, love, I love real fires. I mean, our fireplace at home, you know, you, you hit a button, it's comes on, there's the fire. Most of us, we want our relationships that way. You know, you know I'm in the mood. Hit, I'm there. You know, I want her to be in the mood. Okay, fireplace is on. But the reality of it, a real fire, it takes work. I mean, I, I was camping several months ago, <laughs> and uh, we needed a fire. It was in the upper 30s, and it was pouring rain. So that fire took work. I mean, if I, 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 I could have pulled gasoline out of my truck to light that fire, I would have done it. But that fire took work. I had, I had, to, I had to scatter grass and, and ground out so I could try to get some, to some dry ground. I had to get some kind of way to block the rain from coming on. I had to find some, some drier wood. I had to, had to take care of it. I had to, had to get the fire started, and it started small, and I had to nurse that fire, and I had to slowly add logs, and, and, and I couldn't just throw giant logs on there and hold a lighter up to it and think it's going to work. It was a process. It took work, but the work paid off. Listen, I stayed warm. I stayed dry. And in our relationships, we've got to understand that it's going to take work. Listen, when the first time I saw Heather, I knew I was going to marry her. I don't know how I can tell. I can't tell you how, but I just knew. It was like the Spirit of God hit me, and I looked at my best friend, and I said, that's the girl I'm going to marry. And he didn't believe me. He, he laughed. And, and when I first met Heather, I got the courage to walk across the room and introduce myself to her and talk to her. And I didn't open with the line, baby, I'm going to marry you. Now, I think that would have set me back a little bit. But... She didn't feel the same way I felt. And it took work. I mean, for four months, I mean, maybe today you might get a citation for stalking. I don't know. But, but I put the work in and I got her to the altar. And I said, I do. But listen, listen to me, listen to me. That work didn't stop. And in some ways, that work gets a little tougher. Because now we have to seek to understand more about each other as we've grown together over the years. See, when, when you're in a dating relationship and you find out their favorite color and that level of understanding, it just sends butterflies to you. Oh, her favorite color is green. You know, you find out her favorite food. You find out, find out what he likes. And, and, and you're, you're, hitting, you're scratching the surface of understanding. But as time goes on, if you're unwilling to put the work into it, then you'll stay in that shallow area of relationship. And you'll say, I've gotten to know everything there is to know about this person. And I don't love her anymore. I don't love him anymore. I'm just not in love. You've stopped working at creating the depth that God has called you to in your relationship. And you've let passion start to fade. And godly sex is passionate. And the devil will always, always, always offer a counterfeit that's going to be easy, but it's going to be deadly. And we have to be willing to put in the difficult work. Solomon goes on, verse 7, you're altogether beautiful, my love. There's no flaw in you. Listen, we know she's flawed. Guys, do not say amen. I will hear you from your living room. I will, and God, you don't go there. She herself confessed to Solomon, I'm flawed. I had to work my family's vineyards. My, my stepbrothers hated me and they put me to work and I've been in the sun and my skin is dry, my skin is cracked and I'm, I'm, I'm not much to look at, I'm dark. And so she's admitted that she's flawed and yet he is looking her at her and he's affirming, he's tender and he's passionately speaking to her. There is no flaw in you. 
You, you baby, are the new standard. I don't look to other women, and I don't, ladies, I don't look to other men to create the standard for, for my intimacy, the standard for passion, the standard for romance. I look to you. He's valuing her for who she is and setting that standard. See, that's the danger of pornography. You know, some people, some people will say, well, pornography is just kind of, it's sterile. You know, it's just between me and myself. It's just me and my mind. The problem is, is what's happening in your mind is you are building a standard that, that no person will ever live up to. And to be honest with you, no person should ever have to live up to that because you've taken out what the context of relationships are to seek to understand and serve one another. You've taken the affirmation out of it. It's taken the tenderness out of it and it's taken the passion out of it. And that's the reality and the danger of pornography and what it's doing in our relationships and in our marriage. And listen, if you're single and engaged with that, we wanna help you because you are now building expectations that are never going to be met. And what happens is when you have expectations that are never met, it automatically breeds disappointment. And you will walk away from relationship after relationship after relationship disappointed because you've let something other than God's word set a standard for your life, for your sexuality, and for your romance. If you want to know what my standard is, her name is Heather Elaine Oxley. There is no woman on the face of this planet that will ever compare to her. She is the most beautiful, she is the smartest. She is, I respect her more than any other woman that I, I've ever experienced. And no offense to my mama, but my mama raised me to leave and be united to my wife, and she's the standard. And I, I think she believes the same way. See, we need to believe that about each other because that creates a security in our relationship because godly sex is secure. That I have this security in our relationship. Listen, our culture, sexual abuse has created an incredible amount of insecurity and, and that's the devil's plan. To create environments where we can never feel secure, where we can never fully trust, where we can never reach that level of intimacy and passion that God has created us to experience in the right context. It's secure. Verse nine, Solomon goes on. He says, you have captivated my heart, my sister, my bride. You've captivated my heart with one glance of your eyes, with one jewel of your necklace. How beautiful is your love, my sister, my bride. How much better is your love than wine and the fragrance of your oils than any spice. He's repeating back to her what she started out in chapter one. He's creating security in this relationship by saying, I listened to you, honey. I heard what you said about me. And I'm saying it back to you. <laughs> Guys, if you, there is no quick way for intimacy, but let me tell you, one, a quick on-ramp to the express lane is listening. And not just listening for your intentions, but listening so that we can create security in that relationship. And then, verse 11, here we go. Now it gets physical. Your lips drip nectar, my bride. Honey and milk are under your tongue. The fragrance of your garments is like the fragrance of Lebanon. 
He, he's, now, he's now moved in, and this is the first physical contact, the kiss. And look, it, it's not just a, it's not just a, it's not just a, I mean, listen to what he says. He, he says, milk and honey are under your tongue. Now, this is hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before the French came about. There was no France. This was no French kiss. This is a Hebrew kiss. This was a full-on open-mouth kiss, and he was going after it. And this, listen, this starts a process. This starts a process that God has designed for completion, and it will demand completion. And this is a, this is a moment that if you're single, I encourage you to set some boundaries because Wounds happen when we start a process that's designed to be completed in its context and in the covenant, and we can't stop. And I would say it's time to have that standard now, have that boundary now. (laughs) You don't create those boundaries in the heat of a moment. You create those boundaries now. And you resolve, I will not start a process that's going to create wounds and create hurts. And so he's, he's in, he's kissing, they're kissing. And it's a, it is a passionate kiss. All the culmination of the passion and, and their love and, and the emotion and the, the physical nature now, and now that the spiritual blessing that God has provided over this covenant, is they are now kissing. And he steps back and he says, a garden locked is my sister, my bride, a spring locked, a fountain sealed. What he's saying is I'm valuing this fact that you waited for me. And when I say that, some of you now just begin to struggle because you think that I haven't waited. That's, that's not me. And you don't give up because of this verse. Remember what I told you. You listen for you and you listen looking forward. But see, God is a God who can make all things new. God is a God of redemption. God is a God of reconciliation. God is a God that takes our past and he wipes it clean by the precious blood of Jesus that was poured out on the cross. And we can start living his standard today because godly sex is holy. And God calls us to be holy. He says, be holy as I am holy. And and too many times we think holy is perfect. Listen, a holy people is not a perfect people. A holy people is a forgiven people. A holy people are people who have let God deal with their past and reconcile it through the blood of Jesus that he poured out on the cross and then come to him and then pursue him and follow him. Jesus said, if anyone follow me, he must deny himself. So it's not about my needs and my wants, Jesus. It's not about my passions and my desires and the things I've opened or the things I want to open. It is, it is not about me. He says, deny himself, take up his cross. Jesus, I've laid my life down for you. I die to those things and I live for you. And he says, follow me. A holy people deny themselves, take up their cross and follow Christ. Why? Because he sets the standard. Because he shows us this kind of love. We've all failed, but can be forgiven. That's the gospel. 
See, when we look at the gospel, even in this context, it, l- l- let, me, let me show you this. The, the gospel is this, that, that God has a standard. He sets it, we don't. And none of us can live up to that standard. And to, to, to help us in that, Jesus came and he died for the violation of the standard. He died for, the viol- he, he died for our sin. He died so that we could be forgiven and redeemed and made whole and that we have a new beginning and a new start and a way to follow him as pure as the driven snow. And then the Bible illuminates our life in the standard. That's that's why church is valuable. That's why we gather around a people who are redeemed, a holy people pressing into the heart of God and we go to the word of God because the Bible illuminates this standard in our life. So we don't create opinions based on standards. We go to the word of God And ask God, what do you say? What is your standard? Light that up in my life. And sometimes I look at that and go, I still can't live up to it. I still struggle. I still mess up. I still fall short of the glory. And that's the beauty and the power of the Holy Spirit that he empowers us to live in this holy life that he's called us to. That's the beauty of the gospel. And we've got people in our world that have been abused and lied to about sexuality and about the way romance works and the way to stir passion. And God wants to bring grace and healing in this very moment. And he makes all things new. Yes, this is a high standard, but listen, God God pours grace and grace doesn't lower the standard We don't become abusers of grace to try to bring the standard down. Grace lifts us over the standard so that we can walk in a holy life. That's the power of God at work. So I come to this this close and I just just wondered, I wrestled with how to close this message. And so I'll close with this. James 1.22, be doers of the word and not just hearers only. I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. I couldn't resist that. I could not resist that. I am so sorry. Let me, let me close it with this. It's verse 16 in chapter four. It says, Awake, O north wind, and come, O south wind. Blow upon my garden, let its spices flow. That wind, the north wind is a strong wind. Let your strength come in. And the south wind was a, a gentle wind. Let me experience your strength and your gentleness in the context of of this intimate, passionate relationship. And then she says, let my beloved come to his garden and eat its choicest fruits. That's passion. Now, in this context, is the time to awaken. And time to live in this passion that God's unleashing is a passion that only he can provide. And he can provide it because it's happening in his way. And God's way isn't just right. God's way is always better. Let me pray for us. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I just, I just, I just want to pray for, I want to pray for all of our singles. And maybe you're, you're single, maybe you're divorced. Maybe, maybe you've lost your spouse. And I just want to pray for, for you. God, I just pray for your protection through your word. That, that you give people the fulfillment in everything that they, 
may feel like they've lost or maybe that they feel like they're losing out on, but that you'd bring this absolute divine fulfillment. Give them the courage to step into your plan and your life. Give them perseverance. Give them strength. Father, for those that are married, I pray for romance. I pray for couples to reignite their efforts. I pray for you to pour out grace and rekindle that fire. And I just speak life and love into their marriage. God, I pray for fresh starts today that you, you, you forgive and you heal wounds of the past and you bring a fresh start today. God, I pray that you break strongholds of lust and pornography and adultery. And God, I just pray that by a mighty power and move of the Holy Spirit, you tear down those strongholds that the enemy's trying to set up against us, that that steal passion, that rob us of the intimacy you've designed us for and to be lived out in your context and the relationship that you've called us to in that marriage bed. God, I'm praying that you protect that, you preserve that, you forgive, you break free, you heal wounds today. God, I'm praying for those that need right now that your grace and your forgiveness, that they look at your standard and before they walk away and say, I can never have that because I've already messed it up. That God, I pray right now in this moment, the powerful force of your grace and the moving of the Holy Spirit, bringing life and your grace into this moment, that you give them life right now. I pray that you bring them to the point of repentance to just to call upon you, Jesus, and say, Jesus, I'm sorry that I've gone my own way. I'm sorry that I've done this on my own. I'm sorry that I've tried to live up to my own standard, and I'm asking you to forgive me. I surrender my life to you right now, Jesus, and I ask for your forgiveness. I ask you to cleanse me of my sin, and I invite you in to change me, lead me, and grow me so that I can do relationships the way that you have authored and created them to be, all for your glory in the most beautiful, powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I love you guys. Thank you for listening to this message from the Creek Church. We invite you to listen to other messages on this podcast, or if you have any questions, you can email us at info at